Welcome to Scripture Studies, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible. I'm your host, Scott Sperling. Today we'll be looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. So grab your Bible, sit back, and open your hearts and minds as we study the Word of God together. We are continuing our study of Romans, and we find ourselves in chapter 12. We left off with verse 15 of that chapter, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Romans 12, verse 15. Actually, we'll start reading from verse 14. With verse 14, Paul begins a section of instructions that deal with living at peace with others. And with these instructions, Paul is emphasizing living at peace with those who aren't, to put it mildly, aren't your friends, those who persecute you, those who themselves have no desire to live at peace with you, those who visit evil upon you. Yes, even with these sorts of people, we need to live at peace. Of course, it's easy to live at peace with your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, so we shouldn't need instructions about how to do that. Although, come to think of it, we're not even very good at living at peace with our friends, brothers, and sisters. We find ways to bicker and struggle with those whom it should be easiest to live in peace. So indeed, if we find it difficult to keep the peace with those who are on our side, so to speak, well, I guess we really need these instructions about getting along with those who see themselves as enemies to us. Given that, well, I think we need to pay careful attention to these instructions of Paul's about living at peace with those Uh, whom it is most difficult to do so. So let's read these verses. We'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Quote, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We covered verse 14 in the previous study, so we'll pick things up with verse 15. In verse 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Now, this sounds like a fairly easy instruction to carry out. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And when we're talking about our friends, yes, it should be easy to do these things. But when speaking about our enemies, those who are hostile against us, those who have done us wrong, well, I think in general we fail miserably at this. Don't we naturally just, you know, wish the worst upon those whom we don't get along with? When we hear of something good happening to a quote-unquote enemy of us, don't we usually think, why should that happen to them? 
What have they done to deserve that? And many times, there's a bit of jealousy involved, I think. Uh, you know, why didn't it happen to me? Why didn't I win the lottery or, or whatever? And then also, and this is worse, when we hear that something bad happens to someone that we don't get along with, we jump quickly to think, huh, well, they certainly deserve that. So what Paul is saying here absolutely doesn't come naturally to us, especially since Paul is focusing here on our thoughts and attitudes related to our so-called enemies. By the way, I say so-called enemies because really from our point of view as Christians, we shouldn't have enemies. There shouldn't be really anyone about whom we say, oh, he or she is my enemy, I hate them. Such thoughts should be foreign to us as Christians. Those are thoughts and attitudes that, as mature Christians, we should grow out of. So that if there are those whom you do consider to be your enemies, those of whom you haven't conquered your hatred, well, I think you have some spiritual work to do. I think you need to be in prayer about how to put this hatred aside and, as Christ commanded, love your enemies. So anyway, in the context of this study, when I say enemies, I'm referring to those who, from their point of view, consider us to be enemies, those who have hostility toward us, those who want to do us harm, those who just don't like us. Because as I said, we as Christians really shouldn't have hostility towards others such that we consider them to be our enemies. Anyway, moving on. Paul is saying, even towards our enemies, even towards those who have, say, persecuted us, as Paul describes in verse 14, even them, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We are not to wish harm on anyone. And as I said, to carry out this instruction of Paul's is not the natural reaction that we feel when we hear news about our enemies. Our natural reaction is to do, uh, I guess, backwards from what Paul instructs. Our natural reaction is to mourn when our enemies are rejoicing and rejoice when our enemies are mourning. And this is the wrong attitude to have as a follower of Christ. So we should all cultivate what Paul is urging us to do here, and that is to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who mourn. And indeed, identifying with others, even one's enemies, identifying with others in both their joys and sorrows is a good way to break down the walls between us and our enemies. A good way to build bridges of sorts. Congratulate your enemies when something good happens to them with full sincerity. And with just as much sincerity, console them when bad things occur. And come to think of it, I think it's much easier to do the second rather than the first. I think most of us, hopefully all of us, don't wish bad things on anyone, friend or enemy. Yet at the same time, we just don't like it when good things happen to our enemies. They don't deserve that. What are you doing, God? Why did you allow that to happen? So I think in general, we find it easier to mourn with those who mourn than to rejoice with those who are rejoicing if they are our enemies. But again, to walk up to your enemy and with full sincerity congratulate them and rejoice with them upon their good fortune, that works to build a bridge and perhaps works to tamp down hostility. So rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn.
Moving on, in verse 16, Paul gives us more ways to break down walls between us and others. Here's what he says, quote, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, unquote. The first instruction in verse 16 deals with keeping the peace between you and the people around you, especially those who see themselves as your enemies. Do your part to keep the peace and live in harmony with them. The rest of this verse deals with pride. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. The church is somewhat of a unique place in the community in that in one church there could and really should be people of various economic classes as well as various ages, races, and backgrounds. And that's as it should be. And Paul is telling us that in the church there should not be subgroups based on these various backgrounds. We should all associate with everyone without regard to their background. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is our example in this, and he followed this to the ultimate extreme. He is deity, and yet came down to earth and mingled with and ministered to anyone and everyone. Our ability to follow these instructions really, if you think about it, has a lot to do with having a correct view of ourselves, with having a humility before God. We are nothing but what God has made us. Realization of this, I think, would go a long way to breaking down walls of pride that we build up between ourselves and others. Starting in verse 17 and going to the end of the chapter, Paul deals with instructions on how to respond when somebody does you wrong. The first part of the, this passage emphasizes keeping the peace. Here's what Paul says in verses 17 and 18, quote, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." Unquote. Paul begins here by saying, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Again, this goes against what our natural reaction would be. When someone harms us, we seek to harm them. In fact, we think we have the absolute right to repay them with harm, but such an attitude is absolutely not Christ-like. Peter reminds us of Christ's attitude. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, quote, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, unquote. There, Jesus was practicing what he preached. Let's look at some very familiar verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read Matthew 5, verse 39, and then down to uh, verses 44 and 45. Quote, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Unquote. I think here that Jesus gives us a key to counteracting our natural desire to harm those who harm us. He says, pray for those who persecute you. It's hard to maintain the desire to do harm to someone that you're praying for. The act of prayer, I think, gives the Holy Spirit the opportunity to soften your heart towards those you're praying for. Most often, those who do us harm even those who do evil to us deserve our pity much more than our anger. 
we can pity the fact that they are away from the influence of the Holy Spirit such that they do evil to others. That's an attitude deserving of pity and suitable for prayer on their behalf. Pray that God, by His Spirit, would change their hearts. Doing such a thing, praying for rather than retaliating against your enemies, is certainly an act of peace. Paul goes on to emphasize such peacemaking. Let's read the second part of verse 17 into verse 18. Quote, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Unquote. I like the sentiment that we should, quote, do what is right in the eyes of everyone, unquote. When I read this verse, it brings to mind something that I saw quite a bit uh, when I was working in Italy a decade or so ago. I spent quite a lot of time in Italy for my work, and I was based out of Rome. So my wife and I would walk around Rome in the evenings after, uh, after work, and we would often see those who would violate this instruction of Paul's. There's a name for it in Italy and in Europe. They're called the Ugly Americans. There is absolutely such a thing as the Ugly American. And not ugly in the sense of how they look, but ugly in the sense of how they behave. They'll do things that are okay to do here in America, but aren't customary in Rome or wherever. And then when they're called out on it, they'll huff and puff and say something like, well, in America, it's okay for me to do this or that. And they'll go on to badmouth the Italian culture or whatever. I saw this quite a bit, um, <laughs> as I said, in, in Rome and in Italy in general. Uh, and I saw a similar thing happen in gelato shops uh, a few times. There's a gelato shop in Rome near the Trevi Fountain called Valentino's. Valentino is quite a nice guy, he, and he makes great gelato which is Italian ice cream, if you're not familiar with it. Anyway, I hung out there quite a bit, uh, probably too much. Um, and I saw this scene unfold a few times. An American would walk in and ask for a taste of the gelato before purchasing it. Now, here in America, that's quite common. Most ice cream shops nowadays allow you to taste the ice cream before you buy it. But that's not the custom in Italy. They, they just don't let you do that. Anyway, so I'd see an American come in and ask, hey, can I have a taste of that flavor? And Valentino knew what they were asking. His English is quite good. But he'd pretend that he didn't understand them, and he'd say something like, no. Oh, so you want that flavor. Uh, what size do you want? And the American would say, no, I want a taste of it. I, I just want to try it before I buy it. And Valentino would say, okay, okay, of course. What size do you want? Do you want a cup or cone? And the American would get frustrated. And, and that's when I'd usually butt into the situation and tell them, hey, that, you know, in Italy, they don't usually let you try it before you buy the gelato. And I'd tell them, you know, really, it's quite good. Uh, you should order some. But the, usually the American would leave in a huff or something like that. Well, in America, we can taste our ice cream first. And Valentino and I would have a laugh about it, and I'd have to apologize on behalf of the ugly Americans. Um, so that's kind of what Paul's getting at, I think, here. Don't be an ugly American. Try to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Uh, literally, in this case, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Um, and you may say, well, I have a right to act this way or that way. 
True, you do have that right, but this is a matter of Christ-like humility and showing respect for others. When in Rome, do as the Romans. Or as Paul says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And following this goes a long way to keeping peace. Just as Paul says next, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I love how Paul words this when he says, as far as it depends on you, uh, it's good that he says that because we all know there are times when we may bend over backwards trying to keep the peace and the other party will just have none of it. They want war. So Paul does acknowledge that this may sometimes be the case. But in any case, as far as it does depend on you, live at peace with everyone. And many times it does depend on you. And there are things you can do to keep peace. Things like, I don't know, swallowing your pride and letting others have the last word. Or conceding your rights at times. Just like Abraham did with Lot when he allowed Lot to choose the land that he wanted when there was contention between their families. You can find that in Genesis 13. Or there are ways at times to plan things ahead or arrange things ahead of time in order to arrange things in such a way that, that you know, you're not rankling another person. And in that way, you can keep the peace. Or you can do such things as, you know, controlling your temper, waiting a bit of time to cool off before dealing with controversy or putting off discussions or possible arguments until uh, tempers have cooled. And also, don't dwell on wrongs that have been done against you. Just give them up. Do things such as these in order to maximize your role in keeping peace with others. As Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Next, Paul returns to the subject of repaying evil for evil. Here's what he says. Let's read Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. Quote, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head." Unquote. Verse 19 focuses on the fact that it's not our job to take revenge for wrongs done to us. Leave this to God's justice, or as Paul puts it, leave room for God's wrath. God doesn't need our help with this. We're to get out of the way and let God handle any retribution. And to do this takes some faith and patience. We need to have the faith that God, who is righteous and just, we need to have faith that God will right these wrongs. And we need to have patience just like God has been patient with us. God is patient, and many would even say God is over-patient in bringing his justice upon us. He's patient not because he approves of the wrongs done, but because in his grace he desires that all come to the knowledge of the truth and turn to Christ for forgiveness. God, in his patience, would much rather that the repayment for evil be placed on his son rather than on us. And we should rejoice over that. 
And we do rejoice when we ourselves are the recipients of the patience of God's grace. We need to learn to desire that our enemies would repent and enjoy the blessings of God's grace as well. Then in verse 20, Paul gives us the best way to deal with those who have wronged us. Rather than revenge, Paul says this, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. So instead of revenge, we're to show love for those who have wronged us. Feed them. Give them something to drink. In other words, return good for evil rather than evil for evil. The hunger and thirst mentioned here are representative of any needs our enemies may have. Do them good. Supply their needs if it's in your power. Paul gives here a consequence of showing love for your enemies, which he borrowed from Solomon. He says in verse 20, In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I think the sense here is, in general, our enemies don't like it when we show them kindness. They want the retaliation. They want to ratchet things up, eyes for eyes and teeth for teeth. And so the most effective way to get them back, so to speak, is actually to show kindness to them. The kindness has the effect, as Solomon says, of heaping burning coals on them. To heap burning coals on someone was an extreme punishment to them in in the old times. And so the kindness shown to them, ironically, has the effect of, well, inflicting pain on them. It's, I guess you would say, agony to them. They don't want your kindness. They certainly don't expect it. Often, your kindness will bring about shame upon them for their actions. And even in rare cases, bring about a change of heart. And and that's what we should all desire for our enemies. That would be the best outcome, that the burning coals would melt their hearts. And indeed, the burning coals of your love will have a much better chance of bringing the situation to a satisfactory outcome than the fire of your wrath. I think that what Solomon was getting at with this picture here is that to heap burning coals on someone was an irresistible punishment which no one could bear. They had to yield to it. And Solomon is saying that kindness, love for one's enemies, can be just as irresistible. Paul sums up this whole idea in verse 21 with a marvelous summary statement of the whole section. Let's read it. Quote, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Unquote. Our most powerful weapon against evil, believe it or not, is good. That's pretty much the sentiment behind the heaping burning coals metaphor. Responding to evil with evil just increases the evil and and will make it spiral out of control. Yelling and arguments do nothing to convince anyone of anything. No one responds to threats as expected. Threats don't tamp down evil. But a cup of cold water to a thirsty soul, or a pat on the back of encouragement and a helping hand to lift someone sinking under the weight of sin, these sorts of things will do wonders to overcome evil. The ultimate example of this is Jesus' mission here on earth. Christ's sacrifice is the ultimate example of overcoming evil with good. 
God saw our thirsty souls and downtrodden existences, and rather than visiting well-warranted destruction upon us, he sent his son to save us. Just as Paul says in Romans 5, verse 10, quote, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, unquote. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, overcame our evil by the greatest act of kindness the world has ever known. And he proved the effectiveness of the strategy of overcoming evil because throughout the centuries, countless multitudes of people who were entrenched in lives of sin and wickedness have left behind their evil ways when they understood and experienced the love of Christ. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. We hope you enjoyed today's study. If you're interested in other studies in this series, visit scripturestudies.com. That's scripturestudies, all one word, dot com. Or just Google Scripture Studies by Scott Sperling, and you're sure to find the site. The background music is licensed through Pond 5. The theme music and interludes are by Scott Sperling. All rights reserved. Until we meet again, live well, serve the Lord with passion, and always lean on the Holy Spirit. May the Lord be with you in all your endeavors. Amen.